Welcome to the latest ATP podcast. I'm Chris Bowers, and with the grass court season in full flow, this week we hear from a number of leading players and coaches at both the ATP 500 events, which have been taking place at the Queen's Club in London and in Halle in northern Germany. We'll hear from the always entertaining and often provocative Nick Kyrgios later in the podcast, and shortly we'll get the views of the champion in Halle, Hubert Hurkacz. We'll also speak to Francis Tiafo's coach, Wayne Ferreira. But first, to one of the oldest venues on the tennis calendar, the Queen's Club in West London, where the Italian Matteo Berrettini made it two titles in a row after beating Serbia's Filip Krajinovic. It's too many emotions. Um, the last thing that I expected was coming back from a surgery, winning two titles in a row, defending my title here, one of the most prestigious tournaments that we have. So I don't really know. Like, I don't want to cry. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, it's most of the job is thanks to them, my team, my family, people that were close to me. It's I just cannot believe it. <laughs> <laughs> and your dad's flown in especially for the final. Yeah, 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 of course. Yesterday after the semis, he texted me, "Should I come or not?" And I was like, "Of course, you have to come." <laughs> And yeah, I, I, I mean, either way, it would have been a nice memory, so why not? <laughs> exactly. But three months off the tour, I mean, how difficult coming back into Stuttgart would you have thought that you're going to be unbeaten and win two titles? Yeah, um, my team can tell you about that. I, I arrived to Stuttgart. I ran Stuttgart and I wasn't feeling great. I wasn't hitting the ball the way I wanted, the way I used to do. And, and I was like, guys, I think it's going to be tough. And then <laughs> it went pretty well. So, <laughs> so uh, I mean, I guess I'm Italian. I'm always complaining, you know. But, <laughs> but yeah, I cannot complain now. I cannot complain no, now. <laughs> and you talk about this title and you've seen the great champions that have won here. You understand the history and what holding that trophy means. Yeah, exactly. Um, every time I walk in these hallways, it's kind of like tricky here. I get lost all the time. It's like <laughs> this clubhouse, it's really tough. And I see all the names, you know, all the champions in the past and the present. And now knowing that it's going to be me twice in the, the same wall, it gives me goosebumps. So I'm really happy for that done. And thank you guys for the support. So now, Matteo, are you finally going to have a couple of days off? I hope so. <laughs> maybe, maybe three. Uh. <laughs> but it's the perfect uh, preparation. Wimbledon just around the corner. You couldn't have asked for a better grass court season, could you? Yeah, I think I couldn't ask for a better uh, start and preparation. But like I said yesterday, I think this tournament wasn't a preparation for women. This is the Queens. So I came here to defend my title. And like I said, it's one of the most prestigious tournament that we have so I'm really happy obviously that from next week there is another goal well keep coming back for many many years and good luck at Wimbledon thank you thank ladies you guys. and gentlemen Matteo Berrettini two titles at the Queen's Club following on from an appearance at the Wimbledon final last year would surely suggest that Berrettini feels at ease on grass but when I spoke to his coach Vincenzo Santopadre he said that wasn't always the case I think Matteo uh, did a great job because uh, the beginning when he started to play on grass 
it was not so com comfortable. Well, he didn't have such uh, big strokes. Uh, so the thing that uh, we decided to play some tournaments on grass because uh, he wanted to improve to be a better player. So he took the, the chance to be a better player playing on grass. And um, day by day, like uh, he's always able to, to practice in uh, such a good quality. He improved a lot in his strokes, in his balance, uh, and on serve. Uh, so he discovered a surface that at the beginning was not so comfortable. But now we, we can say that uh, when he's on grass, uh, he feels like at home. Obviously he has the big serve and the big forehand. On the backhand side, he has this very good slice, which works very well on grass. Do you have to work with him with a, a different type of backhand in the grass court season compared with when he plays on hard court and clay court? No, actually, of course, uh, on grass, his backhand slice, as you told, is something that can make the difference a lot, uh, more than uh, in other surfaces. But uh, I think uh, he's a really... He has a lot of strokes everywhere, in every uh, on our court, on clay court. Of course, his game is uh, right now can 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 be really good uh, on grass. But uh, as uh, I mentioned uh, at the beginning, was not at all like this because I remember when he played uh, in Halle uh, the first time uh, he lost twice because he was an uh, alternate lucky loser. He lost uh, to Seppi easy, but he didn't have any chance to win the match. And then uh, I think that in every stroke so he improved a lot uh, of course uh, sometimes you can have some uh, some different uh, little tactics uh, more than uh, a different strokes of course on grass uh, um, is different because uh, there is much uh, is not so easy to find angles uh, during the rally because the ball is bouncing not so much uh, so also with the with the high of the speed of the ball is difficult to control so you have maybe less opportunities to 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 do something tactically compared to other surfaces but i think matteo uh, on grass uh, his backhand slice uh, is really good because um, it doesn't bounce so much so then uh, the other player has to 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 play a higher ball and he likes to, to hit uh, that kind of ball how much have you had to work on his footwork? Because obviously playing on grass is as much a question of feeling comfortable with the ground under your feet as it is about which strokes you play. Yeah, I think that uh, that's a good question because I think it's one, one of the main uh, goals that we try to achieve at the beginning on grass because, uh, um, of course, uh, it's a different type of... Uh, uh, footwork uh, also with the balance uh, uh, if you miss a little bit your balance uh, then uh, it's tough to play a good, a good uh, like a good ball uh, with heavy heavy spin or heavy ball so we worked a lot uh, and um, I think being so tall is he has a very good uh, like uh, footwork but we worked a lot what, what was one of the first things that we started to work uh, uh, especially to play on grass. When he got through to the Wimbledon final last year, what was dinner like on the Friday night after he'd won his semi? 
uh, was was nice because of course we were uh, celebrating uh, everything because uh, was so, so, something unbelievable that we we couldn't imagine when we started to to play tennis and it was a dream that was coming true uh, reality and then uh, of course uh, we were there and everybody wanted him to to win to get the title of course uh, we knew that the match was really tough but uh, we had a nice time and um, in any case I think he played a good final too was his first to be his first Grand Slam final I think he did a great job how fit was he because we were all worried about the injury in that time uh, actually we didn't say anything but uh, because it's not not our philosophy but to be really honest he he, he had a little problem in his leg because uh, he fell down in the semis and then uh, uh, he was not exactly 100% but uh, you know when you are playing a Wimbledon final probably you don't feel anything you just play but the, the, the truth is that he was not 100% physically Did you notice him grow as a person by getting to the final of Wimbledon or even in the weeks after? Yeah, I really think so because uh, Matteo is a guy that uh, uh, he learns so much from uh, his experience and day by day I think he's a better man and uh, also on court during the matches he finds the way to to be better also in uh, with the passing of the match so I think that uh, that was of course uh, such a big experience such a uh, so many emotions that uh, and uh, like you know Matteo is an Italian there's a lot of passion and uh, he feels uh, every every situation is uh, inside the situation so he, he grew a lot he's Italian he's from Rome we associate Rome with one of the great clay court tournaments in world tennis you yourself played your best tennis on clay how do you view the grass court season, given that so much of your upbringing and his upbringing in tennis have been on clay? Yeah, I think uh, it's a really nice time because uh, it's good when you mix it up a little bit. Of course, grass season is the shorter one, but, um, but the, um, the thing is that uh, we love grass because uh, uh, when you see also the green, uh, it's something that uh, gives you an hope, gives you something that uh, can uh, like relax you, and uh, it's nice to 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 put the, the the foot on grass. It's always nice, and then uh, uh, of course Matteo loves grass, and uh, of course we do the same. And how good do you think he can still be? I think he can he can be really better. Than, he is doing unbelievable. We have to 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 note this. He is doing a great job, and probably no, nobody expected he was growing so much in such a, a little time. But I think uh, knowing Matteo, knowing how, how he wants to 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 be better day by day, I'm really sure that he will be better. Um, in, in one year for sure is will be much better than now and finally what's the best thing about being the coach of Matteo Berrettini the best thing is that um, we have fun we have fun because uh, of course it's our job I think uh, we are really serious when working when we work but um, since uh, of course we know each other 
uh, since long time and uh, I was uh, a man but now I'm uh, an old man he was a, a child a boy and uh, now he's a man too so we we had uh, we spent much so much time together and we were growing together and uh, the thing is that we have a, straight, uh, a, t- a very good uh, like a relation and we have fun we know each other we can we can make jokes and I, and I think uh, uh, sometimes you have to be light in the life uh, because otherwise uh, if you take it too seriously then uh, we don't like. I think people enjoy, people have fun watching Berrettini play. <laughs> yeah, I'm really happy about this because he's, uh, I think he's a nice player to watch because uh, uh, first of all, uh, he's a nice guy on court, uh, he has a lot of respect of uh, everybody and then uh, I think he is also nice to watch because he's trying to to do something, some drop shot, approaching to the net. Uh, uh, maybe I think uh, people like uh, fans like uh, to to see his game. That's Vincenzo Santopadre, the likable and always thoughtful coach of Matteo Berrettini. Another player who impressed the crowds in London this week was the Dutchman Botic van der Sandskulp, who reached the semi-finals before losing to the eventual champion Matteo Berrettini. Van der Sandskulp rose to prominence last year when he reached the quarterfinals of the US Open as a qualifier, and I was keen to find out what had changed since that momentous run. First of all, I, I, yeah, I changed a little bit in the rankings, yeah, I climbed up the rankings and uh, yeah, started to play a different tour. Um, Normally I was playing on the Challenger Tour and now I'm, I'm competing at the ATP Tour. So yeah, it's, it's a diff- different event, different people. And uh, yeah, I have to say like this year, it's like getting to know everyone and getting to know the, the tournaments and stuff. But it's, uh, it's going quite all right. So yeah, I think I fit in quite nicely. What's the biggest difference between playing on the Challenger circuit and playing on the full tour? Yeah, I think level from the first match on is uh, it's a little bit higher than on the Challenger Tour. Uh, normally you can grow in the tournament a little bit more, you play more matches. On the ATP door, Tour you play like guys in the top 100, you play them directly in the first round. And yeah, with the Challenger Tour it's, it's a little bit different. You play guys who are 250 or 200 or 150 in the first round. And when you go on in the tournament, you yeah you normally play guys who are maybe close to top hundred or in the top hundred. So yeah, you can get like a little bit of confidence during the tournament before you met those guys. And how does that affect the way you prepare for matches? In the beginning of this, yeah, you have to be like you have to be there uh, from the start of the tournament. Uh, didn't do something else than I did on a challenger tour, but it's just for your mind. It's a little bit different, uh, at least for me. Yeah, because you know you have a tough task in the first round and you have to be 100%. And sometimes in the in the challengers, you could come away if you were like 95% or something. Did you lose a couple of matches after the US Open because you were still adjusting to the intensity of the full tour? Yeah, I went, uh, I went to Indian Wells and, and lost there in the... I qualified there and lost in the first round. Um, Antwerp and I lost in the second round but at least I won won a couple of matches in the tournament and yeah from there on I made semis and, and quarters so yeah for me it went quite alright I think I mean you were the qualifier king last year you qualified for all four of the majors and various other tournaments now you don't need to qualify do you miss the qualifying tournaments? No I don't miss it at all um, 
Of course, you, you go in a tournament a little bit different, like you, you won already three matches and, and the confidence is, is different. Um, but yeah, now you can play a tournament before the slam, so I think that's a little bit better than, uh, than to play qualifying. You had those four years when you were on the tour, but struggling to make it anywhere near full tour level. Were there times when you thought, is this really worth doing? Or did you dream of where you are now? Yeah, especially the first years were tough. Um, when I started, I didn't play, play the whole season, played like maybe 10 tournaments, um, got a little bit sick, so kept me out for a while. And then I was in, I think in half a year or one year, I went from 1200 to, to 300. And then I was out again with an injury. And yeah, you're struggling a little bit for two, two, three years. And then at one point you decide from, yeah, from it has to go better now. And you want to see the improvement and your, your game has to be better. And you want to see some improvement in the rankings. And from that year on, I went, yeah, I went from 500 to 200. And then every year. So was when was that? What, how old were you? I think uh, 2000. 19 if I say correctly or 2018 I think so before the pandemic um, yeah the year before the pandemic uh, the pandemic starts at 2020 so yeah it was the beginning of 2019 was it and what did you go through in terms of your thought process did you come close to quitting yeah I gave myself one more year if it if it wasn't getting better uh, maybe it's time to to do something else mm -hmm. or yeah, to figure out what I want with life. Um, but yeah, I'm glad the, the year went well and <laughs> yeah. And what did you do to make that year go well? Yeah, I started to to be yeah more focused on the things outside of the tennis court, more professionally with Jim and, and, and my physical coach and yeah, started to yeah, to keep a, keep a closer look on my on my food schedule and stuff and yeah, also the stretching after matches and the warm-up and everything, everything around the tennis had to be had to be better. And so what had you done to be in that position that when you got to the US Open last year and had to play eight matches, three qualifying, five main draw, you were in position to do that? Yeah, it was quite, uh, quite sensational. I didn't expect it becoming quarterfinal in the US Open before I went to the US. Played four challengers, played a lot of tournaments in a row, and played a lot of matches. So I was a little bit tired going into going into the states, and yeah, was was there a week before the qualifying started? So I had one week to prepare and had some tough qualifying matches, and yeah, all all were three sets, all three sets, and yeah, came through all of them, and then struggled a little bit in the first round. And then second round, third were a little bit better. And then in the fourth, I, I had again like a really tough match. So yeah, I was happy I held it physically. I mean, you could only have played in those eight matches four more sets if, you know, you, you had two five-setters, a couple of four-setters, uh, all your qualifiers went to final sets. I mean, you must have been exhausted by the end. Yeah, when I played Medvedev, I felt for the first time I was a little bit tired. Um, tired and yeah when you go on court you're not gonna feel it anymore you just yeah you go with the flow and yeah at the end of the tournament yeah, I took a couple of days off because I was completely completely broken so 
yeah, went went home and and had some rest. Yeah, I needed it. And how has life changed for you back home in the Netherlands? I mean, do people recognize you now? Have you been asked to do a lot more media work? They're not recognizing me yet, but uh, yeah, I have to do a lot more media work in in Holland, and it's it's get it's getting busier when you're when you're back home. Normally, you had some rest and time off when you when you were at home, but sometimes it's even more busy now when you're back home than than on the tour. And you're now a top 30 player. So what's the next goal? Just going up, or have you got a number in mind? Yeah, I think I proved I I can beat also guys who are ranked higher than me. So. Yeah, that's that's the that's the goal I'm working for to go higher up the rankings and be more consistently. But yeah, because I think I can I can beat the guys who are higher than me. But the difference between them and me, it's like they win almost every time against the lower guys. Yeah, the r- lower rank guys. Yeah, and if you talk about rankings, yeah, maybe I want to be top 25. And yeah, that's the first goal I'm having now. That was Botik van der Sandskulp, and you can hear an extended version of my chat with him on the podcast channel this coming Wednesday. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. To Germany now, where Hubert Hurkacz, playing in his first ever grass court final, beat Daniel Medvedev, who lost in a final for the second week running. Our reporter, Ursin Kaderas, spoke to Hurkacz shortly after he became the 30th man to lift the Haller Trophy. No, definitely super happy to, you know, win my first title on grass win my first 500 title so you know so definitely definitely very proud of myself from the, from this week and uh, super happy to you know to share this moment with, with such a great uh, great team as I do have played five finals in your career won all five what qualities do you possess to be so successful when it counts I don't know I mean I just uh, you know try to play a play a good match compete as, as good as I can and uh, you know, at the end, you want to win the big, the biggest trophy there is. <laughs> of course, you want to. And today was super quick, one of the quickest finals we've probably seen. Were you surprised yourself? No, I mean definitely. I started the match really well and uh, gained a little bit of momentum after after breaking Daniel in, in his first service game, and then then went really quick the, the first set. So, so I, you know, really started well and and was was playing uh, some some really good tennis. And you've played good tennis all week. You've beaten uh, some of the best in the world. The number one, obviously, Oje Aliasim. You've beaten Kyrgios. What could this mean now for Wimbledon to know that you have such a high standard? I mean, definitely, definitely that, uh, you know, gives uh, some boost of confidence before Wimbledon. And, uh, you know, that grass is, is, is not a typical surface. Not, not many players are used to playing on it. So, so it's a little bit different game, but I really enjoy it, you know, and then I'll try to use it at Wimbledon. Do you feel like you can win a Grand Slam? Yeah, why not? Absolutely confident. I like it. Uh, and one last question. Your coach has to make some changes now. What what was the deal here? Yeah, I mean, the deal was uh, made it long, I mean, a couple of months ago that I need to shave his beard when I win something big. So, you know, didn't happen for a while. So so now, you know, he can finally, he can finally do it. So, so his family not going to, not gonna have uh, has, has to search for for some other Santa for Christmas, <laughs> and it's gonna be more comfortable for the summer months, anyways. <laughs> Many congratulations! Yeah, definitely, especially in US. <laughs> <laughs> 
It was only a year ago that the Halle runner-up, Daniel Medvedev, fell in the first round on his tournament debut in Halle. But since then, he's 14-3 and on grass, including a tournament victory at the 2021 Mallorca Championships, which is his only title not on a hard court. So it's perhaps a little surprising that when the current world number one spoke to Ersten Kaderas earlier in the week, he opened up about still having a few question marks about his abilities on the surface. Uh, it's uh, not easy to, to say where I'm with the grass at the moment because before it was my favorite surface. Uh, then I started playing really well on hard courts and got my best results there. So now there's uh, no second choice. Uh, hard courts uh, is uh, my only big love, if we can say like this. But uh, I always liked playing on grass. Uh, I think my game suits it well. Uh, but then sometimes, uh, yeah, you get to opponents where it gets uh, really tough and tricky. And I think on grass is uh, the toughest uh, surface to turn the match around. You need to kind of straight away be in the zone. And that's uh, yeah, what has been sometimes tough for me. But uh, I definitely want to improve and want to try yeah, to be better, to win uh, bigger tournaments on grass. I think I have the potential to do it. So I'm going to continue uh, learning and uh, working to try to be a better grass court player. I just heard you say that Playing on grass gives you a calming feeling. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, just because, uh, you know, even straight away when you step on grass, especially after the clay court season, um, I don't know, it just feels so relaxing because, uh, you know, you get uh, you some kids' memories where usually you're just playing football with your, with your friends. Uh, and uh, uh, it's... After hard courts and clay courts, which were, of course, playing the most of the year on, uh, it's really different feeling just, you know, to step on the grass and uh, where usually, I don't know, it's in your backyard of the, your house where you're on grass. And uh, it's really pleasant feeling, I think, for a lot of players, not for everybody, of course, it's normal. But uh, me, I really like it uh, and it makes me really calm, yeah. Today you woke up as the world number one. Um, I know you've been uh, world number one before, but you know it must be quite special still, isn't it? I think it's really important. Uh, it brings you a lot of confidence uh, and I feel like uh, in a way uh, extra pressure because people start to, to want even more from you as a world number one. But I like it and I will try to, to do it. I want to try to keep this place and in order to keep this place you need to try to gain as many points as possible. Tennis is is a tough sport because every week is a new week and no matter if you won before or if you lost the first round or final uh, you have the next week to try to either prove everybody that uh, you are still there or prove everybody that you can do better last few months were maybe not as good as i wanted it to be uh, and at the same time that's why we have the rankings of the 52 last weeks Last 52 weeks, I managed to to take the most uh, amount of points uh, than other players. And uh, that's why, you know, yeah, uh, tennis uh, rankings is not uh, about one or two last tournaments. Otherwise, we would have a lot of uh, world number ones. And I'm really happy that uh, I managed to to keep the consistency going. And of course, I want to try to do better. The unmistakable Daniel Medvedev. 
One man completely at home on the finely mown lawns is Nick Kyrgios, and with semi-final appearances in Stuttgart and then Halle, it looks like he'll yet again be a player that everyone else will look to avoid in the Wimbledon draw. When Usain Kaderas met up with Kyrgios, he was keen to find out exactly which elements of the Australian's game make him such a formidable opponent on grass. Well, obviously the serve. Um, I think, you know, players that have big serves and, you know, I think people that can adapt on the grass as well. Um, You know, every bounce is different. And I think, you know, growing up in Australia, we had, you know, access to grass courts quite early on. So I think our foundations as grass court players are there. You know, obviously there's a couple very good grass court players. You know, Jordan Thompson, me, him and I, you know, grew up on grass courts. So, you know, I think we just, we, we find our feet a little bit easier than most. How do you think you rank at the moment among ATP players on grass? Um, I think on grass, you know, I'd be, you know, top five, top ten in the world, definitely. I think if I'm feeling good on grass, I, I feel really, really comfortable on it. But, you know, the way I'm playing, you know, obviously my showing this year, I've only played five events and, you know, I'm ranked 60 in the world. So, you know, I'm not planning on playing a lot more tournaments, but, you know, I feel like I can finish, you know, the year top 20, top 30 with only playing 10, 12 events. And why have you decided not to play more tournaments this year? Um, I think just, you know, I want to have time with my family and friends uh, back home. You know, I live in Sydney now, I have a home there and I have, you know, a beautiful girlfriend lives there as well. So I don't really want to spend too much time traveling. Obviously, it's great to travel for four or five months of the year. But I think anything after that is a bit tiring, especially being from Australia, the flight's so long. So I need to definitely find that balance. And how was your time at home? Amazing. Uh-huh. Um, really amazing. You know, we moved into a new place and, you know, I just love, you know, seeing my family and, and friends. Um, you know, I love just feeling normal and, and enjoying, you know, I put in a very good month and a half, you know, in the US Open, uh, like the US swing. And then I really wanted to enjoy it back home and then feel revitalized for the, for the grass season. And that's what you are now. You feel like you've recharged the, the batteries completely. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I feel as if, you know, I'm fresh. Um, obviously, you know, miss home here or there, but I feel like tennis wise, I feel like every time I'm practicing, every time I'm playing, I'm trying to work on a couple of things. Mm. And, you know, I think it's just about the day by day battle of me waking up in a positive positive way um, trying to make the most win or lose you know I want to be able to um, you know feel good about my game you know I lost to Andy last week and then I want to continue to make good strides um, positive strides with my game and you know I'm playing I'm playing great so I actually wondered what's it like to play Kyrgios because because you're such an entertaining player and we never know what's going to happen in a match you know do you think it's difficult for the player on the other side to actually focus when you you know you're playing trick shots and interacting with fans and so forth um yeah, definitely. I mean, it wouldn't be wouldn't be easy, especially the the unpredictable factor of you know what mood I'm going to be in, how I'm going to play. You know, I can definitely on hard court or clay court, I can play you know kind of the defensive role where I'm you know I'm not going to miss many balls, and then on grass, I can play that kind of aggressive baseline or um, you know role where I'm not giving you much rhythm. Obviously, you know I'm not taking it too serious, and you know most of the tour, you know they're every single day, every single thing they do is for tennis. And for me, you know, I just want to go out there, have fun, entertain, and sometimes it's not easy for other people to concentrate. But, you know, I've never changed. You know, since I was 10 years old to now, I've always been, you know, quite loud, emotional on the court. And, you know, I always wanted to make it theatrical and almost like a, like a, like a theatre, like a show. So um, that's never going to change, I don't think. And we love you for it. But do you think, you know, in part, is it also to kind of intimidate the opponent? I wouldn't say intimidate. Um, you know, I've almost been on tour now for 10 years, so people know that I can play some really good type of tennis. Um, and when I find that balance of entertaining and actually concentrating, that's when, you know, obviously I play my best tennis. But sometimes I go out there and I just want to have fun. And, you know, sometimes I just, 
I'm not really thinking about the results so much. I just want to go out there and feel the ball, have a bit of fun and, and, and just enjoy myself. And I think that's normal. I think everyone just wants to enjoy their job from time to time. But yeah, I mean, it's not easy. Nick Kyrgios, and he's playing a third straight tournament as he's in Mallorca this week with a possible mouth-watering quarterfinal against Medvedev looming on the Mediterranean horizon. Another man practising in Mallorca last week was Rafael Nadal. He declared himself sufficiently satisfied with the state of his troublesome foot that he's travelled to London to practise for Wimbledon, but he'll decide later this week whether he's fit enough to play the third Grand Slam tournament of the year, which starts on the 27th. Mallorca is one of two ATP 250 tournaments this week, which offer a competitive alternative to practising in London. The other is in the English seaside resort of Eastbourne, where the seventh seed is Francis Tiafo. The American has been coached for the past couple of years by the former South African top tenor Wayne Ferreira. As Ferreira told Richard Connolly, while he's been able to connect with the 23-year-old TFO, it's been eye-opening for him to note just how far removed the game's current stars are from his own generation. I am much older than, than they are, and a lot of times uh, the, the players that are here today see the coaches walking around the locker rooms and stuff, and, and they don't know who they are. They don't know what they did or if they could even play tennis. I mean, I bet a lot of them that, that are players that are walking around here look at me and don't even know if I even was on the tour. So it's nice when they can see that I've won and they can see that I was a player. It gives me a little bit more respect around here. And it's nice, but it's also nice for Francis to see because he's always like, well, i got to do that. i got to get there. i got to, you know, so he's trying to, like, catch my ranking. He's trying to catch the tournaments that I won. He's trying to win the tournaments that I did. So it's, it gives him an incentive too, which is nice. Yeah, but as you kind of indicate, the game has changed an awful lot. So to actually stay with it and to stay relevant over this large period of time, that's that's a huge accomplishment to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, you know, the, the, the tennis has changed a lot. I mean, it changes over the court surfaces and changes and everything. But, you know, ultimately, in the end, you, you know, you, you win. It's about winning. It's about winning matches. It's about finding your ranking, doing the best that you can. And, and I think that the respect that you get, I get from it for, for where I was, what I did, is, is deserved, you know. And it's nice because, um, you know, these guys, you know, especially Francis, you know, I, I want him to respect me so that he'll listen to me. If you have a coach that you don't really respect, it's impossible to help him. So I think that helps. You took over with him when he was clearly an, an excellent player. How do you go about taking somebody from this level to greatness, to the, to the really, to the top of the game? I mean, there's a lot behind it, a lot with him in particular. I mean, he had a lot of growing up to do. I mean, he came out on the tour in his first year, did exceptionally well, made quarters of Australian Open, won Delray Beach, and then just felt like it was easy. And then he, he sort of lost what, what it meant to really be here day in and day out. And kind of had to give him perspective of what what hard work is you know you got you got to your job every single day it's not about one week one the one uh, tournament here and there and still trying to break through with him on that that you know we have to get up every day at the right time get to where we need to go put in the efforts work as hard as we can because not the work that you do today is not going to give you the result tomorrow it's going to take time and you know we've taken a lot of time i've been with him almost two years we've worked a lot and worked hard on certain aspects of his game that to me are only going to start taking in and he's only going to see results um, about now towards the end of the year or even next year so it's a long process Getting somebody to buy into that and getting somebody to appreciate and really learn that that message is going to pay dividends and keeping it kind of enjoyable at the same time, that sounds very difficult. Yeah, I mean, you have to like what you're doing. 
I mean, you know, and these guys are fortunate because they're doing a job that they like. You know, they can wake up every day and say, I'm doing something that I want to do. He loves tennis. He likes to play tennis. But yes, it is a grind. You do have to put in a lot of work in times that you don't want to. And, you know, as a young kid, he wants to go out and have fun and enjoy himself. And, and But, you you know, you want to do your job well and be, be the best that you can be at your job. You, you have to make sacrifices. And he's starting to make those sacrifices and those sacrifices are starting to pay off. How do you improve the focus? How do you get inside his head to, to, to make that work? It's hard with him in particular because the younger generation do have a very short attention span with the whole technologies and everything and it's very hard for him to concentrate match by match. But we try to have little goals like can we win a match without losing our surf? You know, can we can we concentrate throughout the whole match? I mean, we've had some good, you know, I mean, when I started working with him, he had never won a, a match in a Grand Slam in three sets. He'd actually never won a match without losing his surf. And we started to break through those little barriers. You know, Wimbledon last year, he beat Tsitsipas in straight sets, didn't lose his serve, and then beat Pospisil the next match in straight sets and didn't, his, when his, didn't lose his serve. So we're starting to get to some breaking these little barriers that then can turn into, into bigger, bigger ones and bigger ones. And, he's, and it's, you know, not every day is a, is, is a good day. We do have our ups and our downs, um, but you know we've got to just try to make get better as we we can each day. And I guess you have to accept not every day is a winning day. I mean, you, you see, if you see bits of progress in there, you've got to show those to him and and encourage him on those days. Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, I can't expect every single day, but I would just like more days to be better than worse. And we we're we're doing that slowly but surely. We're doing that. There are better weeks. Um, but you know the next step for us is like we went and did Estoril and he made finals of Estoril and then we go out into into Madrid the next week and and he plays horribly so now we start you know progressing day by day to a week and then having a successful week but then making sure we can turn around and do it the next week and so you know as I said you know we, we take little steps but as we finish the little steps we work on bigger steps and you know there'll always be things to do with him and that's what makes it exciting is because you know he's 27 in the world and and he's really not at a level uh, that he's capable of being at yet so if he could actually end up getting to that level I mean be very very interesting to see where he could be. How have you grown in as a coach over the course of the last year or so? I would say I've grown a lot of different ways I I, I realized that I can't make him me. You know, I, I was always going, w- willing to go out every single day and fight like crazy and, and die to win. And, and I hated losing. And, and he's not like that. He's sometimes okay to lose, which for me drives me nuts and I don't understand. Um, so I have to work around these things. I have to look at what's good for him and what works for him and not necessarily what would work for me and what I want. Have you adapted then during the course of the year? Have you made mistakes and, and gone in different directions? Definitely over the last first year I made a ton of them. I, I expected way too much from him. I expected him to be too different or, or too too much of a person that he's not. And so I've adapted to try to encourage his personality and try to encourage him in a way that I think he will be able to succeed out of himself, out of his own personality. How did you become aware of that then? Did you have good honest conversations with him or did you realize yourself a lot of lot of nights shouting at my at the wall uh, after he has terrible matches and yelling going what are we doing here what's going on so there's and, and a lot of long conversations with him but i've also realized having long conversations with him doesn't really work well either <laughs> it's again a day and it's a, the, the less that we talk about the better it is with him 
that speaks wonders of your relationship, though, that you've able, been able to come through those tough conversations and, and still be together because you talk about short attention spans. Lots of player-coach relationships don't last as long as the one that you've got here. Well, the good thing about him is, is that he is aware of his strengths and weaknesses and he knows what he needs to do. It's just doing it is different. I mean, sometimes you know what you need to do, but you can't do it. And even though he can try some days, he's not going to be like a, you know, a person, you know, like a rougher who can go out and, and put his head down every single day and, and give 100%. But he knows that he needs to work on these things and he's trying his best, but you have to deal with it in, in a way that can fit into his personality. What will represent success for you and Francis over the rest of, of, of this year? The rest of this year, I, I think winning a title would be important for him in a big step. Made finals of Estoril. Um, so winning a title would be, would be, I think, would be very, very big for him. The last title he won was 2018 in Delray Beach, and he hasn't won one since. That, I think, would be a very, very big help. I mean, he's 27 in the world right now. I mean, you know, he's got his career high at uh, 25, which was good. I mean, I, top 20 would be would be great but I'm not quite sure if if that's realistic for for this year yet um, we still have some things to work on so I think the title and for me the the little goals is him going out and putting in the effort every single day every match that he plays and if I can have weeks where he tries at a hundred percent or focuses or gives his best every tournament for the rest of the year that would be a huge huge success and I'd be very happy with that and you're enjoying it. You're enjoying the life back on tour again as we come to the end of our chat. I mean, this is, you know, it's, it's, it's the tennis life again. It is, and I've enjoyed it. And I've missed it, too, because, you know, I, I quit tennis 2004 and, and I, I started working with Marin Cilic uh, two and a half years ago. So, you know, for 15 whatever years, um, 16 years, I've been out of the game. So it's been a long time. Things have changed a lot. It was difficult for me to come. I had to reintroduce myself to everybody. I don't didn't know half of the players, and it's taken a while to, you know, to get to know them, to understand how they play, their strengths and weaknesses, finding out, you know, all the different guys and personalities. It's been it's been fun. I've enjoyed the last two years. It's been really nice. It's a it's a another great journey. It sounds like a whole new other conversation about getting back on tour. One that's not for today. Yeah. Wayne Ferreira, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Richard. Wayne Ferreira speaking to Richard Connolly. By the time you hear this podcast, both Mallorca and Eastbourne will have started as there's an overlap with Queens and Halle because those finals take place this Saturday, not Sunday. You can follow all the scores and results on atptour.com. Also, don't forget to check out our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or TuneIn, where you can hear lots of interviews, including Wayne Ferreira talking about winning the title at London's Queen's Club 30 years ago, as well as his memories of Wimbledon. That's it from the podcast for this week. I'm Chris Bowers, and I'll be back next weekend to bring you more exclusive interviews and news ahead of Wimbledon. In the meantime, enjoy the tennis. Enjoy the tennis.